0: Book Five, Chapter Five of The History of the Conquest of Mexico. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For further information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. History of the Conquest of Mexico by William H. Prescott. Book Five, Chapter Five. Arrival in Tlascala, Friendly reception. Discontents of the army. Jealousy of the Tlascalans, Embassy from Mexico. On the following morning the army broke up its encampment at an early hour. The enemy do not seem to have made an attempt to rally. Clouds of skirmishers, however, were seen during the morning, keeping at a respectful distance, though occasionally venturing near enough to salute the Spaniards with a volley of missiles. On a rising ground they discovered a fountain, a blessing not too often met with in these arid regions, and gratefully commemorated by the Christians for the refreshment afforded by its cool and abundant waters a little further on they descried the rude works which served as the bulwark and boundary of the tlascalan territory at the sight the allies sent up a joyous shout of congratulation in which the spaniards heartily joined as they felt they were soon to be on friendly and hospitable ground but these feelings were speedily followed by others of a different nature and, as they drew nearer the territory, their minds were disturbed with the most painful apprehensions as to their reception by the people among whom they were bringing desolation and mourning, and who might so easily, if ill-disposed, take advantage of their present crippled condition. Thoughts like these, says Cortes, weighed as heavily on my spirit as any which I ever experienced in going to battle with the Aztecs still he put as usual a good face on the matter and encouraged his men to confide in their allies whose past conduct had afforded every ground for trusting to their fidelity in future he cautioned them however as their own strength was so much impaired to be most careful to give no umbrage or ground for jealousy to their high-spirited allies be but on your guard, continued the intrepid general, and we have still stout hearts and strong hands to carry us through the midst of them. With these anxious surmises, bidding adieu to the Aztec domain, the Christian army crossed the frontier and once more trod the soil of the republic. The first place at which they halted was the town of Huexotlipan, a place of about twelve or fifteen thousand inhabitants. They were kindly greeted by the people who came out to receive them inviting the troops to their habitations and administering all the relief of their simple hospitality yet not so disinterested as to prevent their expecting a share of the plunder here the weary forces remained two or three days when the news of their arrival having reached the capital not more than four or five leagues distant the old chief Mashishka, their efficient friend on their former visit, and Chicontencatl, the young warrior, who, it will be remembered, had commanded the troops of his nation in their bloody encounters with the Spaniards, came with a numerous concourse of the citizens to welcome the fugitives to Tlascala. Mashishka, cordially embracing the Spanish commander, testified the deepest sympathy for his misfortunes. That the white men could so long have withstood the confederated power of the Aztecs was proof enough of their marvellous prowess. "'We have made common cause together,' said the Lord of Tlaxcala, "'and we have common injuries to avenge. And, come weal or come woe, be assured we will prove true and loyal friends, and stand by you to the death.' This cordial assurance and sympathy from one who exercised a control over the public councils beyond any other ruler, effectually dispelled the doubts that lingered in the mind of Cortes. He readily accepted his invitation to continue his march at once to the capital, where he would find so much better accommodation for his army than in a small town on the frontier the sick and wounded placed in hammocks were borne on the shoulders of the friendly natives and as the troops drew near the city the inhabitants came flocking out in crowds to meet them rending the air with joyous acclamations and wild bursts of their rude indian minstrelsy amidst the general jubilee however were heard sounds of wailing and sad lament as some unhappy relative or friend, looking earnestly into the diminished files of their countrymen, sought in vain for some dear and familiar countenance, and as they turned disappointed away, gave utterance to their sorrow in tones that touched the heart of every soldier in the army. With these mingled accompaniments of joy and woe, the motley web of human life, the wayworn columns of Cortes at length re-entered the republican capital. The general and his suite were lodged in the rude but spacious palace of Mashishka. The rest of the army took up their quarters in the district over which the Tlascalan lord presided. Here they continued several weeks, until, by the attentions of the hospitable citizens, and such medical treatment as their humble science could supply, the wounds of the soldiers were healed and they recovered from the debility to which they had been reduced by their long and unparalleled sufferings. Cortes was one of those who suffered severely. He lost the use of two of the fingers of his left hand. He had received, besides, two injuries on the head, one of which was so much exasperated by his subsequent fatigues and excitement of mind, that it assumed an alarming appearance. A part of the bone was obliged to be removed." A fever ensued and for several days the hero who had braved danger and death in their most terrible forms lay stretched on his bed as helpless as an infant his excellent constitution however got the better of disease and he was at length once more enabled to resume his customary activity the spaniards with politic generosity requited the hospitality of their hosts by sharing with them the spoils of their recent victory And Cortés especially rejoiced the heart of Mashishka by presenting him with the military trophy which he had won from the Indian commander. But while the Spaniards were thus recruiting their health and spirits under the friendly treatment of their allies, and recovering the confidence and tranquillity of mind which had sunk under their hard reverses, they received tidings from time to time which showed that their late disaster had not been confined to the Mexican capital. On his descent from Mexico to encounter Narvaez, Cortés had brought with him a quantity of gold, which he left for safe-keeping at Tlaxcala. To this was added a considerable sum collected by the unfortunate Velázquez de León in his expedition to the coast, as well as contributions from other sources. From the unquiet state of the capital, the general thought it best, on his return there, "'still to leave the treasure under the care of a number of invalid soldiers, "'who, when in marching condition, were to rejoin him in Mexico. "'A party from Veracruz, consisting of five horsemen and forty foot, "'had since arrived at Tlaxcala, and, taking charge of the invalids and treasure, "'undertook to escort them to the capital. "'He now learnt they had been intercepted on the route, "'and all cut off with the entire loss of the treasure.' Twelve other soldiers, marching in the same direction, had been massacred in the neighbouring province of Tepeaca, and accounts continually arrived of some unfortunate Castilian, who, presuming the respect hitherto shown to his countrymen, and ignorant of the disasters in the capital, had fallen a victim to the fury of the enemy. These dismal tidings filled the mind of Cortes with gloomy apprehensions for the fate of the settlement at Villarica, the last of their hopes. He dispatched a trusty messenger at once to that place, and had the inexpressible satisfaction to receive a letter in return from the commander of the garrison, acquainting him with the safety of the colony and its friendly relations with the neighbouring Totonacs. It was the best guarantee of the fidelity of the latter that they had offended the Mexicans too deeply to be forgiven. While the affairs of Cortes wore so gloomy an aspect without, he had to experience an annoyance scarcely less serious from the discontents of his followers. Many of them had fancied that their late appalling reverses would put an end to the expedition, or at least postpone all thoughts of resuming it for the present. But they knew little of Cortes who reasoned thus. Even while tossing on his bed of sickness, he was ripening in his mind fresh schemes for retrieving his honour, and for recovering the empire which had been lost more by another's rashness than his own. This was apparent, as he became convalescent, from the new regulations he made respecting the army, as well as from the orders sent to Vera Cruz for fresh reinforcements. The knowledge of all this occasioned much disquietude to the disaffected soldiers. They were, for the most part, the ancient followers of Narvaith, on whom, as we have seen, the brunt of war had fallen the heaviest. Many of them possessed property in the islands, and had embarked on this expedition chiefly from the desire of increasing it, but they had gathered neither gold nor glory in Mexico. Their present service filled them only with disgust, and the few, comparatively, who had been so fortunate as to survive, languished to return to their rich mines and pleasant farms in Cuba, bitterly cursing the day when they had left them. Finding their complaints little heeded by the general, they prepared a written remonstrance, in which they made their demand more formally. They represented the rashness of persisting in the enterprise in his present impoverished state, without arms or ammunition, almost without men and this too against a powerful enemy who had been more than a match for him, with all the strength of his late resources. It was madness to think of it. The attempt would bring them all to the sacrifice block. Their only course was to continue their march to Vera Cruz. Every hour of delay might be fatal. The garrison in that place might be overwhelmed from want of strength to defend itself, and thus their last hope would be annihilated." BUT ONCE THERE THEY MIGHT WAIT IN COMPARATIVE SECURITY FOR SUCH REINFORCEMENTS AS WOULD JOIN THEM FROM ABROAD, WHILE, IN CASE OF FAILURE, THEY COULD THE MORE EASILY MAKE THEIR ESCAPE. THEY CONCLUDED WITH INSISTING ON BEING PERMITTED TO RETURN, AT ONCE, TO THE PORT OF Villarica. THIS PETITION, OR RATHER REMONSTRANCE, WAS SIGNED BY ALL THE disaffected SOLDIERS, AND, AFTER BEING FORMALLY ATTESTED BY THE ROYAL NOTARY, WAS PRESENTED TO CORTES. IT WAS A TRYING CIRCUMSTANCE FOR HIM. WHAT TOUCHED HIM MOST NEARLY WAS TO FIND THE NAME OF HIS FRIEND, THE SECRETARY DUERO, TO WHOSE GOOD OFFICES HE HAD CHIEFLY OWED HIS COMMAND, AT THE HEAD OF THE PAPER. HE WAS NOT, HOWEVER, TO BE SHAKEN FROM HIS PURPOSE FOR A MOMENT, AND WHILE ALL OUTWARD RESOURCES SEEMED TO BE fading AWAY, AND HIS OWN FRIENDS FALTERED OR FAILED HIM, HE WAS STILL TRUE TO HIMSELF. He knew that to retreat to Veracruz would be to abandon the enterprise. Once there, his army would soon find a pretext and a way for breaking up and returning to the islands. All his ambitious schemes would be blasted. The great prize, already once in his grasp, would then be lost for ever. He would be a ruined man. In his celebrated letter to Charles V he says that in reflecting on his position he felt the truth of the old adage that fortune favours the brave. The Spaniards were the followers of the cross, and trusting in the infinite goodness and mercy of God he could not believe that he would suffer them and his own good cause thus to perish among the heathen. He was resolved, therefore, not to descend to the coast, but, at all hazards, to retrace his steps and beard the enemy again in his capital. It was in the same resolute tone that he answered his discontented followers. He urged every argument which could touch their pride or honour as cavaliers. He appealed to that ancient Castilian valour which had never been known to falter before an enemy besought them not to discredit the great deeds which had made their name ring throughout Europe, not to leave the empires half-achieved, for others more daring and adventurous to finish. How could they with any honour, he asked, desert their allies whom they had involved in the war, and leave them unprotected to the vengeance of the Aztecs? To retreat but a single step towards Villarica would be to proclaim their own weakness.' It would dishearten their friends and give confidence to their foes he implored them to resume the confidence in him which they had ever shown and that to reflect that if they had recently met with reverses he had up to that point accomplished all and more than all that he had promised it would be easy now to retrieve their losses if they would have patience and abide in this friendly land until the reinforcements which would be ready to come in at his call should enable them to act on the offensive. If, however, there were any so insensible to the motives which touch a brave man's heart as to prefer ease at home to the glory of this great achievement, he would not stand in their way, let them go in God's name, let them leave their general in his extremity. He should feel stronger in the service of a few brave spirits than if surrounded by a host of the false or the faint-hearted." the disaffected party as already noticed was chiefly drawn from the troops of narvaith when the general's own veterans heard this appeal their blood warmed with indignation at the thoughts of abandoning him or the cause at such a crisis they pledged themselves to stand by him to the last and the malcontents silenced if not convinced by this general expression of sentiment from their comrades consented to postpone their departure for the present, under the assurance that no obstacle should be thrown in their way when a more favourable season should present itself. Scarcely was this difficulty adjusted when Cortes was menaced with one more serious in the jealousy springing up between his soldiers and their Indian allies. Notwithstanding the demonstrations of regard by Mashishka and his immediate followers, there were others of the nation who looked with an evil eye on their guests for the calamities in which they had involved them, and they tauntingly asked if, in addition to this, they were now to be burdened by the presence and maintenance of the strangers. The sallies of discontent were not so secret as altogether to escape the ears of the Spaniards, in whom they occasioned no little disquietude. They proceeded, for the most part, it is true, from persons of little consideration, since the four great chiefs of the Republic appear to have been steadily secured to the interests of Cortes, but they derived some importance from the countenance of the warlike Chicottencatl, in whose bosom still lingered the embers of that implacable hostility which he had displayed so courageously on the field of battle. And sparkles of this fiery temper occasionally gleamed forth in the intimate intercourse into which he was now reluctantly brought with his ancient opponents. Cortes, who saw with alarm the growing feelings of estrangement, which must sap the very foundation on which he was to rest the lever for future operations, employed every argument which suggested itself to restore the confidence of his own men he reminded them of the good services they had uniformly received from the great body of the nation they had a sufficient pledge of the future constancy of the Tlascalans in their long cherished hatred of the aztecs which the recent disasters they had suffered from the same quarter could serve only to sharpen and he urged with much force that if any evil designs had been meditated by them against the spaniards the Tlaxcalans would doubtless have taken advantage of their late disabled condition, and not waited till they had recovered their strength and means of resistance. While Cortes was thus endeavouring, with somewhat doubtful success, to stifle his own apprehensions, as well as those in the bosoms of his followers, an event occurred which happily brought the affair to an issue, and permanently settled the relations in which the two parties were to stand to each other. This will make it necessary to notice some events which had occurred in Mexico since the expulsion of the Spaniards. On Montezuma's death, his brother, Quitlahua, lord of Iztapalapan, conformably to the usage regulating the descent of the Aztec crown, was chosen to succeed him. He was an active prince, of large experience in military affairs, and, by the strength of his character, was well fitted to sustain the tottering fortunes of the monarchy. He appears, moreover, to have been a man of liberal and what may be called enlightened taste, to judge from the beautiful gardens which he had filled with rare exotics, and which so much attracted the admiration of the Spaniards in his city of Itapalapan. Unlike his predecessor, he held the white men in detestation, and had probably the satisfaction of celebrating his own coronation by the sacrifice of many of them. From the moment of his release from the Spanish quarters, where he had been detained by Cortes, he entered into the patriotic movements of his people. It was he who conducted the assaults both in the streets of the city and on the melancholy night, and it was at his instigation that the powerful force had been assembled to dispute the passage of the Spaniards in the Vale of Otumba. Since the evacuation of the capital he had been busily occupied in repairing the mischief it had received, restoring the buildings and the bridges, and putting it in the best posture of defence. He had endeavoured to improve the discipline and arms of his troops. He introduced the long spear among them, and by attaching the sword-blades taken from the Christians to long poles, contrived a weapon that should be formidable against cavalry. He summoned his vassals far and near, to hold themselves in readiness to march to the relief of the capital, if necessary, and, the better to secure their good will, relieved them from some of the burdens usually laid on them. But he was now to experience the instability of a government which rested not on love, but on fear." The vassals in the neighbourhood of the valley remained true to their allegiance, but others held themselves aloof, uncertain what course to adopt, while others again, in the more distant provinces, refused obedience altogether, considering this a favourable moment for throwing off the yoke which had so long galled them. In this emergency the government sent a deputation to its ancient enemies, the Tlascalans. It consisted of six Aztec nobles, bearing a present of cotton cloth, salt, and other articles rarely seen of late years in the Republic. The lords of the state, astonished at this unprecedented act of condescension in their ancient foe, called the council or senate of the great chiefs together to give the envoys audience. Before this body, the Aztecs stated the purpose of their mission— They invited the Tlascalans to bury all past grievances in oblivion, and to enter into a treaty with them. All the nations of Anahuac should make common cause in defence of their country against the white men. The Tlascalans would bring down on their heads the wrath of the gods, if they long harboured the strangers who had violated and destroyed their temples. If they counted on the support and friendship of their guests, let them take warning from the fate of Mexico, which had received them kindly within its walls, and which, in return, they had filled with blood and ashes. They conjured them, by their reverence for their common religion, not to suffer the white men, disabled as they now were, to escape from their hands, but to sacrifice them at once to the gods, whose temples they had profaned in that event they proffered them their alliance and the renewal of that friendly traffic which would restore to the republic the possession of the comforts and luxuries of which it had been so long deprived the proposals of the ambassadors produced different effects on their audience Chicotencac was for embracing them at once far better was it he said to unite with their kindred with those who held their own language their faith and usages than to throw themselves into the arms of the fierce strangers who however they might talk of religion worshipped no god but gold this opinion was followed by that of the younger warriors who readily caught the fire of his enthusiasm but the elder chiefs especially his blind old father one of the four rulers of the state who seemed to have been all heartily in the interests of the spaniards and one of them Mashishka, their staunch friend strongly expressed their aversion to the proposed alliance with the aztecs they were always the same said the latter fair in speech and false in heart they now proffered friendship to the Tlascalans, but it was fear which drove them to it and when that fear was removed they would return to their old hostility Who was it but these insidious foes that had so long deprived the country of the very necessaries of life of which they were now so lavish in their offers? Was it not owing to the white men that the nation at length possessed them? Yet they were called on to sacrifice the white men to the gods, the warriors who, after fighting the battles of the Tlascalans, now threw themselves on their hospitality. But the gods are bored perfidy and were not their guests the very beings whose coming had been so long predicted by the oracles let us avail ourselves of it he concluded and unite and make common cause with them until we have humbled our haughty enemy this discourse provoked a sharp rejoinder from till the passion of the elder chieftain got the better of his patience and substituting force for argument he thrust his younger antagonist with some violence from the council chamber a proceeding so contrary to the usual decorum of indian debate astonished the assembly but far from bringing censure on its author it effectually silenced opposition even the hot-headed followers of shikonten shrunk from supporting a leader who had incurred such a mark of contemptuous displeasure from the ruler whom they most venerated his own father openly condemned him and the patriotic young warrior gifted with a truer foresight into futurity than his countrymen was left without support in the council as he had formerly been on the field of battle the proffered alliance of the mexicans was unanimously rejected and the envoys, fearing that even the sacred character with which they were invested might not protect them from violence, made their escape secretly from the capital. The result of the conference was of the last importance to the Spaniards, who, in their present crippled condition, especially if taken unawares, would have been, probably, at the mercy of the Tlascalans. At all events, the union of these latter with the Aztecs would have settled the fate of the expedition, since, in the poverty of his own resources, it was only by adroitly playing off one part of the Indian population against the other that Cortes could ultimately hope for success. End of Book Five Chapter Five